This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Hi, it's Ashley Hales, host of the Finding Holy podcast and author of the book, Finding Holy in the Suburbs, Living Faithfully in the Land of Too Much. And I'm excited to chat with my guest today, Patrice Gopo, to talk about the idea of place and belonging and what does that look like? Because even though I wrote a book all about place and the suburbs and how that shapes and forms our desires and loves, I don't think we actually tend to think too much about how our places shape us, how they form us, how our routes and routines, how the stores we frequent and the landscape and geography and laws, how they actually influence not only who we come in contact with, but how we operate in this world and our view of our Christian faith as well. So I'm going to invite you in this episode and in my conversation with Patrice Gopo to talk more about what does it look like to find our places, to think critically about them, to begin to unpack all the ways that our places form us and shape us into the human beings that we are today, how they create our stories. So here's a little bit about Patrice. Patrice Gopo is the daughter of Jamaican immigrants and was born and raised in Anchorage, Alaska. She's a personal essayist and often writes about topics of race, immigration, and belonging. Her first book, a collection of personal essays, is entitled All the Colors We Will See, and it's a fall 2008 Barnes & Noble Discover Great New Writer selection. Patrice is a firm believer in the power of personal narratives to create pathways of connection and understanding in society. When she's not writing and reflecting about her own journey, she teaches and speaks about the importance of personal storytelling. You'll want to stick around for one small step so that you can connect the dots between the things that really matter and your everyday holy life. Here's my conversation with Patrice. so excited you guys patrice gopo is on the podcast today i'm so excited we're going to talk about belonging and place it's going to be awesome and so i would love it if she could just say hi hi and let us know a little bit about herself as we start off thank you so much ashley for having me on the podcast it really is fun to be here so yeah so my name is patrice gopo and i am the black american daughter of jamaican immigrants and i was born and raised in anchorage alaska and i am a writer and i spend a lot of my time writing and exploring themes around race and immigration and belonging and just thinking about what it is to be a black woman moving through our society in a world that's very intent on classifying people and defining experiences based on what someone looks like. Mm. So that's these are the topics I like to explore a lot. Race and race relations, racial identity formation, and just generally how people move from place to place and mm. how we become who we are because of the places we are and because of how we appear and because of the stories of our families. Mm. Yeah. And so I started reading her book. It is so lovely. It's a gorgeous essay collection. Oh, All the colors you. we will see. You don't want to miss it. Um, but of course, one thing that just popped out at me was I just came out with my book a few months ago, Finding Holy in the Suburbs. And it 
it's so fun to read another author who's kind of obsessed with place. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right. You know, and how our places shape us. And I don't think a lot of people, it doesn't seem to me like a lot of people have that as a category for how they have been both shaped by their place and how their places have shaped them. Um, And so I would, yeah. How have you kind of experienced that? How, what was it like growing up um, as a black woman in Anchorage, Alaska, for instance? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And I think it's interesting what you say about this idea that not everyone has really thought about how place orients us and forms us. And I I sometimes wonder if that is related to maybe the accumulation of places that we've been mm-hmm. or places mm-hmm. we're connected to. So I I know, for example, for myself, I often tell people I'm the child of Jamaican immigrants. I was born and raised in Anchorage, Alaska. And people are quick to say, what, Jamaica, Alaska? Why right. did your parents pick that place? And then I go in and explain this story that involved my father becoming a permanent resident of the United States and then getting a draft notice for the during the Vietnam War. And then he was sent to Alaska instead of to Vietnam. So that's kind of the story that I tell. And one of the things I like to highlight in that story is In a way, it's not that my father chose the place that would ultimately be the connecting point. And I think that's Mm. often the story for many of us is that the places that become very rooted in our souls and part of who we are are not necessarily chosen because of that particular place. It ends up that we are there and life is created there Mm -hmm. and we kind of grapple with what it means to be part of that space. So so to go back to your original question after right. giving some of that background, just thinking about me growing up in Anchorage as a black woman and really growing up in a predominantly white community in Anchorage, I like to tell people that there was beauty and there was difficulty. Mm-hmm. And I hold those things together. And I think that's one thing I like to explore is this idea that a place can have profound wonder and uh, just attachment to it. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I love my Anchorage community and I always think of it as my first home, but to be in such a profound, you know, minority in that community also had its own struggles as well. And so that's what I like to explore in my work is that what happens when you, you love someplace, but it's hard to be there. Mm -hmm. And for me, Part of that was, in a way, not fully appreciating the place that I was until I was gone. And right. I mean, I know that sounds a little cliche, right? <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's the reality that, you know, it was upon leaving and kind of going out in the world, going away to college, living in other cities and states and ultimately countries, that there was this growing sense of belonging as well to the place I had originally started. And so mm. I think... Um, you know, just to think more about being that black girl in this predominantly white community. I think that there were just challenges like being in school and being the one black child when, you know, your, your class is discussing sensitive topics around like slavery or segregation. And in a way, people looking to you to Mm. shed some personal enlightenment on the discussion. And yet my parents and my family, we're Jamaican. And so- we didn't necessarily have some of the in-depth history. We, we're more recent arrivals to this right. country, even mm-hmm. though we still are Black Americans. Mm-hmm. So how have you found, what kind of tactics have you found to hold both the brokenness and the beauty together in your lived experience, you know, in your writing? Um, it would be so easy, right, to be just idealistic or cynical or yes. snobbish. Um, how have you kind of held those things in tension? 
You know, one of the reasons I love the essay form is that essays really, I believe, make space for nuance, Mm -hmm. that we're not trying to find easy answers or easy solutions. Instead, what I try to do in my work when I'm telling my stories about, you know, what is broken, what is hard, but what is beautiful is that I'm writing the truth of my experience, that Mm -hmm. I, I have created space to say, this is the truth of what I have experienced and to not try to avoid things just because they might be difficult, not try to necessarily only tell what's beautiful, but to, to do it together. And that's what I really think is the sense of like, we can bring these things together and to acknowledge that something is hard doesn't mean there isn't love there. And so Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's the sense of with, in the essay form that allows you to say, yes, we can be complicated people. We can hold complex emotions, complex ideas. We can even hold things that in a way feel like they're in opposition to each other. Mm-hmm. And yet they can both still be true and real. And so that's what I feel like I go for with my work is to just tell the story as it was, as it is, mm-hmm. and let that stand for itself without necessarily feeling like I have to clean it up in any way. Mm-hmm. But you're, yeah, but you're still, you know, that there's this kind of tenor of hope, you know, throughout your essay mm-hmm. collection in the midst of dealing with so many different varieties of what it looks like to be you and to, ha- to hold all of these identities and these past histories that go back, mm-hmm. you know, all the way to the Garden of Eden, really, right. um, yeah. you know, yeah. that you, you've kind of rooted yourself not only in your own national history and racial identity, but also into the story of the Bible. And so how is that? How has your faith kind of helped you deal with some of these identity issues? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, that's a really good question. And I, I feel like it's a question I still ponder yeah. that I haven't necessarily landed on some conclusion. But I do remember one day I was driving down the highway and I was reflecting on a book I had read as a child that dealt with segregation. It was a children's book, but it was dealing with mm-hmm. segregation. And I remember thinking to myself, just thinking about the characters in this story and that they, they were, it was required of them to do some very brave things. And I remember as I was driving down the highway thinking, I wonder if I would be so brave. And there was this moment and I just thought, this is why I have this faith because I believe that it gives me courage to be courageous when I Mm -hmm. need to be, Mm -hmm. but it also enables me to forgive things too. Mm -hmm. And, and so I feel like, those kind of two things really infiltrate my worldview, the way I mm-hmm. see my experiences, how I interact with my writing. Your comment about there being a lot of hope, I hear that from people quite frequently. And another word that people use is uh, there is just kind of grace woven right. in with mm-hmm. the stories I share. And I feel like that for me is that sense of my faith infiltrating that, yeah. that that has given me that particular view of things that I, I do, I do believe in that sense of like hope and grace that can infiltrate into our work, even as I look at the world from a standpoint of reality too. Right. So I don't think right. this is some sort of, it's, yeah, no, it's not a Pollyanna like, kind of. Yeah, exactly. yeah. It, right. I don't think it's that at all, but I, I do think the presence of my faith, like I said, enables me to be courageous in moments where I need courage and enables me to forgive mm. what some could say feels unforgivable. Yeah. Yeah. That's powerful. 
Um, yeah, <laughs> we're all walking that journey. I think I know, you know, right? right? From you know, little little problems in grocery store checkout lines to big issues of suffering and injustice. Yeah, yeah. right. Um, there was one line I really loved. I wrote down uh, from your book. It says, "Our daughter began her life with the inheritance of an uprooted soul." And you talk about you've traveled a fair bit, and then you moved to South Africa when you first got married, um, and right. that your daughter was born there. That it was such a lovely line because it kind of speaks to this issue of families and travel and migration and yeah. the ways that places shape us, um, and that there's something like in our DNA almost that we pass on to our children, you know, about yeah. place and belonging. And, you know, I think yeah. of so many people who grow up kind of in the same small town and they don't ever leave. Um, whereas others of us have these kind of uprooted souls. So in what right. way, yeah. In what way, if you wanted to tell us either a little bit about kind of that idea for you and this, mm-hmm. you talk a lot about, you know, you moved around a bunch in your twenties kind of before you, you settled, um, and so, yeah, what did that look like? What was the desire behind the movement? Yeah, definitely. The desire behind the movement. I think it was multiple things, honestly. I think part of it was that sense of trying to figure out where I might fit in this mm-hmm. world mm-hmm. Um, and kind of feeling like throughout my childhood, there was always this little bit of disconnect from the experience that those around me were living versus me feeling like I had found a place where who I was was fully affirmed. So Mm. fully affirmed for being a black woman, fully affirmed for having, you know, coiled hair, fully affirmed for kind of these different attributes that Mm -hmm. in many ways our society at large doesn't necessarily affirm. And so I think there was kind of that sense of searching for Mm -hmm. that. But Mm -hmm. I think at the same time, I think there was also a sense of searching just for other places in the world, knowing that my family had come from another place. So from Jamaica to Alaska, I feel like I grew up with that sense of the world is very large Mm -hmm. and I wanted to see Mm -hmm. what that world was. And then Mm -hmm. I think, you know, to some extent, and I go into this a little bit in the book too, my parents, um, they divorced when I was in college, during college. And I think in a way, my family has always felt like a place that I belonged. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when your parents' marriage splits up, I think it leaves, and and that felt like a place that one belonged in this whole context of not necessarily belonging Mm -hmm. somewhere. I think that also was part of that searching kind of, well, where is it? Uh, So I think it's interesting in the end, you know, you did touch on this. I moved a lot through my twenties. And then when my husband and I met, we did kind of settle into something. And Mm -hmm. I just, I haven't, you know, moved quite as much since then. And I, I do think there's kind of that sense of maybe having found some other spaces of belonging hmm. in place being a person versus necessarily being hmm. a location. Hmm. So, yeah. So, so in your, yeah, in your husband and family that you've created together. Right. You I found think your so. place that way. I think so. I think in one aspect, I think certainly. So I, and I, I, I do feel like that sense of place and belonging, it, it can exist in multiple forms. So I think it can exist in maybe us having multiple homes. So mm-hmm. we can feel like home can be multiple places. I think 
maybe home or place can be in a person as well. So I think maybe there's been a maturing in the way I look at belonging and mm. being part of something. But, mm-hmm. but you know, I, I did want to go back to what you said about that line that I wrote in the book about yeah. my daughter uh, inheriting, I can't remember exactly what it said now, <laughs> inheriting an uprooted soul. Yes, that's and, it. Yeah. And I think part of the reason I was drawn to even that language was, I think in a way, it can sometimes seem like to be connected to these many places, or maybe not connected firmly into one place can seem like maybe something not so positive. Mm -hmm. And so I think with the use of that language inherited, I was offering this idea that actually I'm giving her a gift mm, in this, even mm. though it may be not so clear on the outset or right. it may take time to settle into. Hmm. I still feel like this is a gift of something I can give my child. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's really thoughtful. And it's a, you, that there's something that is inherited and rooted and yet uprooted is that yeah. inheritance. Um, right, but, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so how has that worked out for you guys as you've been much more stable? What, what have been some of the processes for you to create belonging, you know, as a black woman, as you know, you're dealing with what does it look like to belong to family as your family of origin has shifted? Um, you've shifted different parts globally. Right. How, connect the dots for us on how that belonging kind of emerged for you to feel yeah. like I, I'm okay. Yeah. I, you know, I think, as I said earlier, this for me is like an ongoing kind of process, but I I do feel right. It sounds like you could really relate to that sense of, you know, it's an ongoing kind of process, but I do feel like somewhere along the way, I have embraced this idea of celebrating the places I am now Mm. and cherishing the places that I've been before Mm. such that you're not or I'm less likely to be trying to find something out there in Mm. the world, but Mm -hmm. instead kind of sitting here with what is here. So one of the things I do tell people, North Carolina, that's where we live now. Mm -hmm. And we've been here for about eight years now. And my husband and I both indicate like it's, we've been here for a long time in our right. opinion yeah, of yeah. our lives. So I recognize that wouldn't be the case for everybody, but for us, yeah. it feels like we have been in North Carolina a long time. And I often will tell people that I became a writer in North Carolina, mm. that this state has helped to foster me as a writer, that there have been opportunities to participate in classes and to connect with writing community, that I've been the recipient of multiple grants from the state and from my county. And and so I think in that way, it's a small thing that makes, it isn't small, but I mean, it's one aspect of my life that reminds me to embrace what is here and what Mm -hmm. is now and what is happening in this space. Mm -hmm. And so I, I feel like even if we ever did one day leave North Carolina, there would be so much to treasure and cherish about our time here in North Carolina. And so, mm. so I think that's one thing that I feel strongly about is just that sense of, you know, being present here, but also cherishing the places I've been before. And, mm. and I think also kind of giving that philosophy to my girls as mm. well, too, as they have these connections to many places as well. And just giving them that sense of 
you know, cherishing these other aspects of who they are, you know, having Zimbabwean ties, having Jamaican ties, being black girls growing up in America, and yet also being present in this particular season and place that they are. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I realized, I, I think I read it at the end of my book, but I, it was something like, I I said, you know, I think I had wanted, you know, this idea that, you know, once I got to the end of the book about struggling with being in the suburbs um, and being back home and all of the baggage mm-hmm. that, you know, felt like high school yeah. holding the lunch tray and you didn't know where to sit, um, was I kind of expected that having gone through the writing process that then things would be better, right? You know, that there wouldn't be this longing, you know, for a place to fit and, um, you know, an ultimate home. Um, and yet I realized, no, actually there is like the longing is even intensified. And for me, like you, I think, you know, trying to say, how do I find myself in the larger story of the gospel the story of the Bible where we all fit, right? And that we all will have an ultimate home that will satiate all of our longings has been one way, at least for me, to begin to, like you say, cherish what was and mourn with those places that you've loved and lost. And but also to be able to enjoy now and not ex- not have to yeah. fit it into what you want it to be. Yeah, yeah, yes, I think so. That maybe there's space to let it unfold and become what it is mm-hmm. going to be. Versus, but but you know, you mentioned that word mourning just now, and I think that's a good one too mm-hmm. because I do think we need to give ourselves space to grieve things that yeah. may have been lost or uh, just may not reflect the glory of what we imagine this world right, to be. Right, like that. that there's space for grieving that too. Mm. And so how have you as a family, you know, as a mother, as a writer, kind of made space to mourn, to lament? Um, I think that's something that the Christian church, you know, at least in America needs, we need to keep working harder. Yeah, <laughs> at, you know, those, those sorts of things. But um, yeah, how have you done that? What does that look like for you? Mm-hmm. You know, just particularly with the political climate, it's yeah messy. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I, I think, again, here's this idea of maybe two things that we can hold together. Yeah. And I feel like one of the things that we often do as a family, I don't know if my daughters would fully realize this is what we do, but I know between my husband and I, we are willing to acknowledge what is not working, what is hard, what is, you know, we, we acknowledge these things and we state them and we we are willing to talk about the ways things are impacting us or impacting you know, communities that we are part of. And so I think that's part of that sense of maybe grieving or mourning is that you actually state what's happening too. Sometimes I feel like people want to just gloss over things, that they want to gloss over struggles. I, I find this often, you know, I talk a lot around topics of race and racial relation, race relations and racial identity formation and things of that nature. And one of the things that I often offer people is that be careful of trying to find only commonalities with people, because I think commonalities obviously are good things that you want to see what we hold in common. But I think our society is inclined to just stop at commonalities Mm -hmm. and to focus in on what we have in common. And because of that, we don't make as much space for the very differences that exist and the differences that often give rise to injustice in our world. And so I think uh, just to kind of go back to that, that we're not, we're not trying to just stay in that higher level or not higher level, but that 
yes. surface level of just commonalities, but we want to go in and acknowledge kind of the pain and the suffering and the difficulty that might be existing, whether it's like a political situation in my husband's home country of Zimbabwe or political situations in our own country. But at the same time, I feel very strongly as a writer, and I think my husband also would feel as just a human being that we continue to share our stories of our experiences as a way of like speaking in to what is difficult in mm-hmm. society. So I know I'm sometimes on panels and people will say to me, well, what's your responsibility as a writer during these times? And right. I often will say in response that I feel like my responsibility as a writer is still the same, which mm-hmm. has been to continue to tell the stories and mm-hmm. that we continue to tell the stories. And that is kind of how we cling to hope, I yeah. think, that yeah. we recognize that our stories give voice to experiences and they are important to be aired out in the world. Mm-hmm. And then they are those examples, even as you write clearly, right, of those those specific differences too, those right. concrete details and yeah. uh, those you right. know, memories and identity formation that, yeah, I love that. I think that's great. I think because I think, you know, as a writer or, you know, like you as a black woman in America, there could be this tremendous amount of responsibility to feel like you have to be in every conversation about race and racial justice and reconciliation. Mm. And um, I think that's so beautiful to think about that all we get to do and all we, our, all of our requirement, right, is to tell those stories. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is witness to. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I mean, I will say, I think, other people out in, their, in the world will certainly have maybe other drives to right. be engaged in those things. And, right. But I, I very strongly believe my role is to continue to create space for these stories to be out there in the world. Yeah, and I think that's beautiful. Bear witness to that. Yeah. And yeah, as you tell stories, you don't know what's going to happen. What's the next spot in the journey, right? You don't. I think you absolutely do not know what's going to happen. But I, I mean, I have seen some of the feedback, though, as people have read my stories that I share in my book is just either people's experiences feeling very affirmed. So I know a, another woman, a black woman who has Jamaican parents as well. She sent me a note saying how she felt very seen because of reading mm-hmm. my book, which mm-hmm. I think that's powerful to feel like you're seen and known. That's what she said that I feel mm-hmm. seen and I feel known. And then someone else told me, uh, so who doesn't share my background at all, different race, everything. Mm-hmm. She said, you know, I see the world differently because of mm-hmm. having read your stories. And I feel like that's like the work of hope out there in the yes. world that it's, it's saying that actually we as human beings can continue to shift and grow and change. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So would you have any just quick ideas, some practices that um, a listener, if they're just listening and they're excited to pick up your book and to read your experience, but wanting to know like, how do I hold these two things in tension? You know, how do I hold mm-hmm. brokenness and beauty in tension? Um, just something maybe practical, maybe something in their body that they could do to help them begin to hold things in tension rather than to either keep things shallow, like we've been talking about, or to quickly kind of box and categorize something without letting things breathe. Yeah. So I personally am a big believer in the need for us to have maybe space for reflection. I guess that might be Mm -hmm. a nice way of looking at it. I think our society is often so fast moving that we, we don't allow ourselves to kind of just sit with ideas. And so 
One practice that I do almost every day is I will take an early morning walk Mm -hmm. um, kind of before the kids get to school and everything. And I realize that's not convenient for everyone. So, you know, don't feel like this literally has to happen like this, but I take this walk and it's about an hour long. And in this space, I feel like I give my mind the opportunity to kind of ruminate and reflect on the various ideas I've been planting in it over the last day. And Mm -hmm. just kind of trying to make sense of why it is I might feel frustrated here why is why it is that I might feel like I'm supposed to be joyful, but I'm not feeling joyful? You know, different things mm-hmm. like that that mm-hmm. might be going on that I just allow myself to kind of decompress yeah. and do that. And I have just found it to be a very helpful thing in terms of making sense of our world. But even when it comes to my writing practice, mm-hmm. I know some of your listeners are writers. I find that as an essayist, Part of being an essayist is making connections between things. And I think we just need time and space sometimes for those connections to arise. And Mm -hmm. I have found almost in that dead space of walking, it's that, you know, there's like life arising and they're coming up and I'm able to think more deeply than I am during the course of just ordinary life. Mm -hmm. I love it. So go for a walk, y'all. Sounds good. Yeah, Um, Yeah, definitely. Um, and then like I end all of my episodes, I want to ask you your laundry routine. Yeah, absolutely. And actually I wanted to connect the last thought to the laundry routine because sometimes you don't have time for a walk, right? Really? It's like the reflecting time that I love. Mm -hmm. I mean, I enjoy the movement too. I think there's something very uh, neat about your body being in motion, right? Mm -hmm. But the reality is you can't always do that. And I also find like the time when you're folding clothes can become that too, Mm -hmm. that it can be this space for reflection as well, because it, you know, to fold clothes, it doesn't necessarily require as much thinking on your part. So you can use that thinking for something else. And so I've also found that that has enabled me to, you know, sit with things in a way that I might on a walk Mm. too, but but kind of thinking more broadly to the laundry routine in our household, it is, we have our pile of lights, we have our pile of darks, yeah. and at some point in the week, they, <laughs> they get, get done. too big. <laughs> they, yeah, well, yeah, they do yeah. get done, but at some point in the week, they get too big, and there'll be a moment where it's either my husband or myself, there's yeah. no set person who does it, but we'll just think, it's too much. <laughs> yes, we're overwhelmed. The mountain is yeah, too, too big. Much. So <laughs> that's, that will start kind of the process, and I'm the type of person who will usually want to do it all right then. So I'll get it all washed and things. And then what I sometimes do, someone gave me this tip years ago, and I will sometimes do this if we're behind and we actually really need everything that's in the laundry is I will, when it's done, dump it all out on my bed so that no matter what happens, I have to get it folded before. Right. Because otherwise you're sleeping with your clothes. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Or my husband will fold, whoever, but the point is there and it kind of gets done. But, but I will say, Ashley, the packing it away, that can sit for, that can sit for I know. Yeah. Right now we have laundry sitting that's clean. It's just, just still sitting. Just still sitting. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Oh. But yeah, but that is one thing though. I do think about that, that act of like just mm-hmm. folding clothes for an extended period of time can really allow you to 
slip into that space of deeper yes. thinking. Yes. Yes. It doesn't need to just be this horrible mundane chore. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I love it. That might so, just yeah. be the stuff I tell myself to right. get through. I know. I think like sometimes we just, like for me, it's like, I need to know the philosophy of the laundry so that I will do it. <laughs> right. I, I will not be motivated if it's just something on my to-do list. Right. Right. Yeah. Oh, well, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. And Thank you. we'll have all the information in the show notes. Thank you for testifying to your identity and helping other people be seen. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. It has really been a pleasure being here. Thank you, Patrice. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. And I hope you've been able to think a little bit about not only Patrice's place, but a little bit about your own. So here's your one small step as you consider your own place. I want you to give yourself an assignment. See, I have a PhD and I like giving homework, but (laughs) I want to give you an assignment. Take 10 minutes, block out 10 minutes, maybe even put the timer on on your iPhone. Give yourself 10 minutes, maybe to brainstorm or walk your place. So either write down a bunch of ideas or simply walk in your actual neighborhood. And start looking around. Start paying attention to who's out, what's going on, what are the routes and routines of your own place that you can begin to think about how does this shape and form me. And just for a little bonus, here in the very beginning of my book, Finding Holy in the Suburbs, and you can get it for free on my website at aahales.com, I talk all about Target. How does Target shape our loves? If we keep going in and out of Target, what sort of spirituality do we have? So give yourself 10 minutes, walk your place or brainstorm all about how your place is actually shaping you and forming you. Be sure to check out more of Patrice's work on her website, patricegopo.com slash subscribe. You can follow her on Instagram at Patrice Gopo or Facebook at Patrice Gopo Writes. And be sure to pick up her wonderful essay collection called All the Colors We Will See. I hope that you enjoyed connecting the dots between the things that really matter and your everyday holy life. We would love for you to take one more step. Go on over to Apple, iTunes, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Make sure you hit that subscribe button and leave us a review because all of these things matter. But so does the laundry. Until next time. This episode was brought to you in part by United We Pray. United We Pray is a podcast devoted to praying and thinking about racial strife, especially between Christians. Come join us in praying for the unity of God's people.